Welcome to Lifeology. I am James Miller, your host and a licensed psychotherapist. I'm looking forward to spending this time with you as we learn some pretty amazing life lessons. Let's get started. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to listen to this show. When you're done listening, I hope you take a minute and write a quick review on whichever radio or podcast platform you've heard this show. Your insights will help others to be inspired and encouraged. I have a great show for you today. I'll teach you the stages of grief and how they affect you. I'll also be interviewing author Kristen Rademacher, who reviews her memoir, From the Lake House, A Mother's Odyssey of Loss and Love. That is an achingly honest book about her losses of place, partner, and her much-anticipated baby daughter, Carly. This book will inspire and remind you that painful life situations can transform our lives, offering enduring love, guidance, and hope. For more information about Kristen, please visit kristenrademacher.com. You may also purchase her book in your favorite digital bookstore or in the previous guest's products in the store at jamesmillerlifeology.com. Thank you so much for listening to Lifeology. I would love to connect with you. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M Lifeology. I am also very active on Instagram and create many videos with quick tips and tools that you can immediately implement. Be sure to say hello and follow me there. Stages of grief. We all have experienced some form of grief. A child may experience grief if they lose their favorite toy. A teenager may be heartbroken from their first love. And as we continue to grow older, our version of what grief looks like and how we grieve starts to evolve. Sometimes we look at someone else and think, well, why are they grieving about that? That seems silly. And the reality is how we look at the world and what's important to us determines how much we grieve. The five stages of grief are denial, anger, bargaining or bartering, depression, and finally acceptance. Now, the difference is not everyone will go through all five of these or perhaps may not be aware that they've gone through all five of them. And sometimes they're a little bit out of order. The way the stages work are denial. That one's pretty straightforward. We can't believe something's happened. Someone tells us something and it's so hard for us to fathom that it just doesn't register with us. We don't understand the severity of what's just happened. If it's a breakup, we think that person's just upset. The next day they'll talk with us. And if you have a job loss, perhaps HR messed up and they'll give you a call back tomorrow and reinstate your position. Stage two is anger. Our perception about everything around us has a lens of anger. We feel like it's not fair. We feel like we've been victimized. We feel like we've done all these things for people and it just didn't work. Or we become angry with God. And we use that anger as fuel to sometimes just hold it together. The next stage is bargaining or bartering. When it comes to bargaining, if the person is alive or you're able to talk to that person, you will try and bargain with them or barter with them to return back to what was the norm before. But if that person isn't there, you reflect back on what you could have done differently that would have changed it, would have changed the outcome. Stage four is depression. And that's where the person becomes more quiet, more internal, and they fully experience that loss. And their mind's eye is clouded with that sadness, that profound loss because that's all they can feel and all they can see and they revisit that particular loss or how it came about. And the last stage is acceptance. Now that doesn't mean that it feels like it's a happy ending. Oh, I accept that this happened, so therefore I'm good. 
No, it's more the sense of the perspective you have about it. If it's a breakup, recognizing that in the long run, perhaps that was the best result for you. The loss of a job, understanding that there are more options for you. The death of a loved one, focusing on what you had with that person as opposed to what you no longer have. That's a way to reframe the situation. So once again, it does not minimize anything you've lost. It just helps you understand how to process it, that that particular event is no longer in your life or it's past. And I say that respectfully because as we all know, grief is so painful. The reason why I wanted to teach this lesson today is it's important to recognize which stage of grief you're in. Because when you recognize that, it helps you be aware of how you interact with the people around you or helps you recognize how you're processing the world at the moment. Or you find that you have so much bitterness in your heart that when you speak with people, it affects them as well. And unfortunately, that's not healthy for you or for them. So that's why it's important to be aware of what stage of grief you're in. The other part that's really important is if you don't allow yourself to grieve, then it will continually fester in your life. You may not be aware of it, but it will taint the way you look at the world, depending on how you feel about that situation. And if it feels like you're always in this depressive state, then it is important to perhaps talk to someone who could help you through that. I have a fantastic interview today with Kristen Rademacher. She experienced profound grief in her life, and she talks about this in her memoir and how these painful situations helped her transform her life to find hope. So stay tuned. If you're anything like me, you love to read. Lifeology and Audible.com have partnered to offer you an incredible opportunity. Audible is offering you one free book download with a free 30-day trial. This is perfect for those of you who love to read but often don't have time to enjoy your favorite pastime. Go to jamesmillerlifeology.com forward slash audible to start your free trial. They have over 180,000 books from all genres, so I'm pretty confident your favorite author's books will be there. Go to jamesmillerlifeology.com forward slash audible and start listening to your favorite book today. Once again, go to jamesmillerlifeology.com forward slash audible to get started today. My guest today is author Kristen Rademacher, who reviews her memoir, From the Lake House, A Mother's Odyssey of Loss and Love. That is an achingly honest book about her losses of place, partner, and her much-anticipated baby daughter, Carly. This book will inspire and remind you that painful life situations can transform our lives, offering enduring love and guidance and hope. Welcome to my show, Kristen. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I am really looking forward to this. I reviewed your information. And I was like, holy moly, there is a lot of emotion here <laughs> that I can't wait to talk about. I'm one who really loves to just delve into that. So I know my listeners are going to really appreciate your story today. Oh, great. Thank you so much. Well, before we get started, I just have a very quick question. What's the difference between a memoir and a novel? A novel is, is purely fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and a, a memoir is... Uh, it's a retrospective look back on events of one's life with some insight that one shares about those events. Interesting. So okay. there's a chronology, there's characters, there's, there's plot oftentimes in a memoir, but then the memoirist has the fabulous opportunity to share um, insight, to take the sort of meta look at what was going oh, on during that time. Wow. Yeah. You know, that's interesting because as I think about that, you know, from what I teach as well is helping people find that perspective either in the moment or just right after the event or perhaps, you know, a couple of days later. So I guess in some ways what I teach is how to have people do a 
in vivo or an experiential or in the moment memoir. Yeah, <laughs> to have yeah. It. that's really yeah, it's kind of cool. I didn't really yeah, really think that's about right. That. Yeah. I always also say that if I were to write, and I think this is probably true for any memoirist, if I were to rewrite this particular memoir mm-hmm. now, I might have a different perspective. Oh. If I were to rewrite it in five years, I might have a different perspective. So oh, it's this like organic kind of uh, writing based on how you're conceiving of those events at the time of writing it. Wow. That's really, that's quite fascinating. I know when you wrote your, when you wrote your memoir, you were 39 years old. Is that about right? Oh, no, I didn't start writing it till I was, um, I didn't start writing it in earnest till I was probably about 45. 39 was when I left. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Well, that's transitioning into that because you were, um, an elementary school teacher. I was. Yeah. For how many years did you do that? 13 years. I taught elementary school, um, in New England. And was very happy teaching. I lived outside of Boston for much of the, much of that time, uh-huh. and um, had a great had a great gig. And then my heart was just busted mm. with uh, this boyfriend that I had been with for a number of years, and I really yeah. loved him. And I just like I really wanted to get married to him. Like I had this whole picture in my head. Like mm-hmm. he's the one. We're gonna have kids. I was gonna retire at this school, and that just blew apart. Wow. And, um, so, so that, yeah, well, that was, that was a while ago. I'm over that now, but that was the impetus that, mm-hmm. that led me. If, if anyone's had a, a, a heartbreak, which we all have, yes, I have you're well. sort of like crazy for a mm-hmm. while. It's like you're, you're, you're <laughs> I'm brain, laughing because it's true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your brain just goes elsewhere. And so in that crazy, um, reeling time of my life, I, decided I'm just going to leave everything that I love. Mm-hmm. And I started this clearly rebound relationship in North Carolina. And, and that's sort of where the, where the memoir. Starts. Did you meet the person in North Carolina when you were already up in Boston? Boston I Arizona? met him when I was in Boston, but I had come to North Carolina in the middle of this heartbreak period to visit my brother who lives, still lives mm-hmm. in North Carolina. And he was there at the time. And I came for this Christmas break from my school. And I was just like, I got to get out of here. And then, you know, sauntering into my life was this Mm. man who was freshly divorced or getting divorced. Mm -hmm. So we were just, you know, two broken Broken people. people, And sometimes broken people think they're just the best thing ever. And we did. (laughs) You know, one thing to really consider, well, first off, we're gonna have to blame your brother. It's your brother's fault that all this happened. No kidding. kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. But you know, when two broken people come together, and I use that word broken loosely, but when they come together, that that becomes a foundation for how their relationship is built and what it's and what it's created. And then from that, as they grow together, then they start to heal. And then as they heal, they kind of revert back or become someone different than that broken person was when they first met. And so in that, that's after a while when you're like, this person isn't for me or how did I get here? And then all of a sudden, what was once a healing time of two broken people, which could then become codependent as well, but then all of a sudden becomes this time of people who just don't really know each other. And often, and I say this um, in a generally, generally speaking, it doesn't work. Yeah, that's well said. And that's, we weren't even together long enough to become unbroken. <laughs> mm, gotcha. You know, we, yeah. we started out broken individually I just love that our foundation was there for broken. And then um, by the time I started to realize, oh my gosh, I, I think I, I think I might've made a mistake. Mm-hmm. I think we're not really the right fit for each other. And 
I'm living in North Carolina. I was in this sort of urban life. And so by the time I started to question my own thinking is when we became pregnant. Oh, gosh. So, oh, so then the, the stress of that, you know, starting broken, add that mm-hmm. kind of stress. It just, it was, it was a real setup. We would not have lasted anyway, but that certainly did not help us. Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely. When you reflect back on bef- when you were elementary teacher, you wanted to marry this person, wanted to retire there. I'm assuming you wanted to have kids. When all of a sudden you were, found yourself pregnant with uh, this person, how was that for you? Because I'm sure it was bittersweet in some ways. Mm-hmm. It was. That's Yeah, it's the perfect word. I had always wanted to be a mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, so when I moved to North Carolina, I was in my late 30s and I thought, if if it happens, you know, with this particular person, I don't know, but I sort of thought the the door, the window was really starting mm-hmm. to shut down. And I had a lot of friends, and I write about this in the book, who were going through infertility. And so in my mind, I thought, you know, geez, it's like, it's really hard to get pregnant anyway. Yeah. The window was shutting. And then when I found out I was pregnant, it felt like this miracle. Like, wow, I can't believe that at my age, in this circumstance, I'm pregnant. And so part of me was very happy and excited. And then the other part of me went right into worry, which yeah. was, which was part of, you know, the bummer that I brought into that relationship was I, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a pretty seasoned worrier. And I was like, mm-hmm. how are we going to make this work? Mm-hmm. I was always worried about money because, um, I, I had taken a big pay cut when I left my teaching yeah, job of course. Yeah. I was doing and he was struggling financially. So there's just lots of worry upon worry upon worry. So while I was pregnant, I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be a mother. This is a dream come true. And oh, my gosh, how am I going to be a mother? How how am I going to do this? And how are we going to do this as a couple? So it was it was really a fraught time. I bet. You know, in psychology, that's we have a fancy term that's called a dialectic. A dialectic basically means you can have two opposing emotions or two opposing belief systems existing at the same time. So that's why when we say um, I love you, but and then you say the other part that that denote or that um, that denies that dialectic. And so when you say I love you and blah blah blah, that means they both exist. And so for you, mm-hmm. you experience a dialectic. I'm so happy that I'm I'm pregnant and I'm so excited and I'm also incredibly worried. And so that's yeah. just something I like my listeners to recognize is that it's okay to have opposing emotions because we're so much more complex. And so it doesn't have to be this binary concept of what an opinion is or a thought is or a belief is. They both can exist at the same time. I, I needed you back then. <laughs> Where were you 17 years ago? <laughs> Where was I? Actually? I was probably going through my own breakup. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> so when all this is happening, so you have this, this idea, okay, I'm with this person. I probably shouldn't be with this person. I'm now pregnant. So that's exciting. Um, how did you then navigate what to do next? Um, how did I do that? I just... So uh, I think my wiring is just problem solve. I'm just going to problem solve this. I'm going to figure it out. You know, I went into heavy duty planning. Mm-hmm. I was imagining. So I was, uh, my job at the time was just three quarters at the university where mm-hmm. I now work. And so I was going to have the summer off. So I'm like, okay, we'll have the baby. Yeah. And then I'll take some maternity leave and then we'll have the summer off and then we'll sort of figure out childcare later. 
And in the meantime, I'm going to keep kind of managing our finances. And he was starting his own business and I'm going to help him mm-hmm. keep his business going. And I'm going to just sort of take charge. I'm going to be the super mom. I'm going to be the CEO or the CFO. And I'm going to just, you know, balance all these plates wow. That's a lot somehow, of... some way. Yeah. Um, That's a key word. Somehow, some way. <laughs> somehow, some way. And, and of course that didn't work out. So I just went into kind of overdrive mental mm-hmm. planning and, and thinking. Um, but our, our relationship became very strained as, as yeah. the months went on. Well, let me ask you this though. So as you're planning this, you'll be the CFO, you'll be this, you'll be that. And you just said this very candidly, but it, where was he in the planning process of that? Yeah, he probably thought I was obnoxious and I, I probably was, you know, mm-hmm. I was just like, I'll just take over. Um, he was, he was really just following my lead. And I, and I don't mean that in any disrespectful way towards mm-hmm. him. I think he was also super stressed. He was very, very invested in this business that he was starting. Sure. And I think in his ideal world, that would have been firmly planted yeah. well before we were together. And it just wasn't yeah. that way. So, you know, in some ways, let me just say he was very excited to be a father. But I think in some ways that business was also the baby mm-hmm. that he yeah. was birthing. He really just wanted that to, yeah. to, uh, to go. So the dynamic was set up where I said, don't worry, I'll manage. Mm-hmm. And I think he's like, okay, kind of weird. But if you're going to manage all of our household stuff, I'll put my mind to the business sure. and that'll be, that'll be my contribution. A lot of people who are entrepreneurs, like I'm an entrepreneur. And when you really, when the momentum starts to happen or just even the planning process or the, the germination of that dream or how it plays out, that's so time consuming. I remember there's been, at least for me on a personal note, I remember when I started this, I would, I would go 13, 14 hours a day. I remember at times I'd, I'd look around. I'm like, oh my gosh, the only light on my house is my computer. My dog is sitting here. Boys, where's his food? I'm like, oh my gosh, James, snap out of it. So I can know from a personal standpoint of how it is, not, not to minimize obviously your experience, but I know as an entrepreneur, there's so much that goes into it to get it off, off the ground. So I can't imagine yeah. what it was like to have a broken relationship. My words, not yours. Broken relationship, um, wanting to start something, but also being happy, be happy to be a, a father. But- there's really no room for all of that unless you make room for it. And, and right. unfortunately that doesn't sound like that's what, what he was able to do. Yeah. And I don't think I was, um, because I was so anxious at that time, I, I think I wasn't particularly helpful in terms of, um, in, you know, sort of like the meta encouragement. I was helpful mm-hmm. in terms of let's get the task done. Get, yeah. You know, what's your next task? Let's get it done. Yeah. So I think that I, I know that, um, graded on him and, and I can, I, I own that and I understand it. Um, hence but your memoir. <laughs> hence, hence the memoir. <laughs> right. Let's switch over to the pregnancy. Tell me more about that. So the pregnancy, as I started to say, it was this. It was a really full time, mm-hmm. just emotionally, because of the dial, dialectic. Is mm-hmm. that the word? Dialectic. Yes. Yep. Because of the like the full emotional stuff I was carrying, um, but I became very. Uh, bonded as as most mothers are with this baby um and i was talking to her all the time and i was um you know just reassuring her don't worry if you can sense what's happening out here don't worry i'm going to take care of it i'm going to take care of you i can't wait to meet you i have a very uh 
full-time imagination. So I was very much in the future, like this is yeah. where we're going to go on walks, and oh, this that. is how you're going to, this is where you're you're going to meet your your cousins and your uncle, and um, so I was I was very much in my own kind mm-hmm. of world, like mm-hmm. becoming a mom already. Yeah, and it was a very easy pregnancy. I had not, I had some sort of uncomfortable nausea in the beginning, but in terms of what some mothers go through, yeah. I didn't really have any of that. And I was, uh, I was very healthy and worked very closely with this midwife practice who were connected to the hospital. So I sort of had checked all the boxes of, you know, good prenatal care, good, good everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then at the very last week or so of being pregnant, um, Actually, no, she was overdue. So it was like my 41st week of pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So I was waiting for labor to start. We were both waiting. And and then one morning, I just didn't feel her move. And I thought, well, sometimes this is what happens. You know, she just hasn't moved yet today. And obviously, that's not what happened. So um, I called my midwife and it's all in the book, but long story short, she she had died mm-hmm. at some point that day, and um, my midwife had told me on the phone. Well, sometimes as they're getting ready to, you know, be mm-hmm. born, they're just it's it's squished. They don't have a lot of room to move. So, yeah. um, but that's that's not what happened. So it was one of these, um, just mysterious stillbirths that I've I've since come to find out is. Mm-hmm no no known cause of death that's what happens to a lot of stillbirths sometimes it's really clear but they they didn't they they weren't able to to name what had caused her heart to stop beating but her her heart had stopped beating thank you so much for sharing that i i can't imagine what that would be like to be so excited and then to have that that loss i just so once can we honor that grief that you have with with carly thank you yeah of course how did you how did you even deal with that Oh, um, that was, and I'm sure there's still a lot more grieving that has to go on. So it's not like cut dry. It's done. I mean, that's such a, there's not enough hours in the day to say how I dealt with that. At first it was just shock, just shock. I went to, um, the hospital with Jason, um, who's not his real name. Mm -hmm. And that's when we had this ultrasound and found out our heart stopped beating. So, I have this sort of visceral memory of lying there and and just that kind of quintessential out of body experience that I've yeah. I've read about other sort of mm-hmm. trauma survivors just describe and just you know I was there but I wasn't there um and then I remember clearly this this realization that I was going to still have to go through labor oh and my I remember gosh. being I remember Oof. being surprised at that yeah. You know, in that first sort of 30 minutes, sure. I, I heard the doctor saying that and I was like, wait a minute, what are you talking about? So it's very, oh my gosh, it's just this sh- incredible shock. And, and other women who've gone through this, it would, I'm, I'm assuming would say the same thing. Mm-hmm. You're just, again, your brain just doesn't, it can't absorb. I, I think you, I think mm-hmm. the brain or my brain at least protected me yeah, initially and just only let in a few mm-hmm. facts at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So we went home for a day, family came in to um, help me, and then we went back to the hospital and I was induced for labor. And I can't, I can't even imagine that to know that you're, that Carly was stillborn and then to have to still give birth. Yeah. I did. I just, I can't imagine that. Yeah. It's yeah. It's not. um, Yeah. I don't recommend it. (laughs) (laughs) That's definitely, you know, with with all that happened and we're gonna have to wrap up here in just a second. And so uh, with that, when it comes to now the intrigue of the book, obviously leaving it on a cliffhanger like this to see what happened between you and Jason, how did you deal with this in this retrospective aspect of, of what you're learning? But when you do reflect on this, what is the, what's the biggest takeaway you've learned about yourself? Um, that, that resilience is, is within me. Yes, and I is. think sort of the, the, the meta takeaway is that really resilience is in everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember when I was in the sort of the throes of, of grief, those, those first several months after Carly died and trying to just function in the world again. And then, um, it's, uh, Jason and I, we just kept deteriorating. So in many ways during that time, I just, all parts of the identity that I had had for myself, identities that I had had for mm-hmm. myself were removed. Shipped away. So there I was starting over in, in many, many ways. And, and I think one of my takeaways from that experience is um, as painful as that was, mm-hmm. what an incredible opportunity, you know, if, if to reframe it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, again, it's, it's not the best way. It's not the easiest way to, um, evolve. But when I think about the version of myself pre Carly in Boston and the version of myself now, I am just, uh, I feel like I've got much more wisdom Mm -hmm. and more to give and more to share. And, um, None of that would have happened. Sure. Much more depth and perception about yeah. life in general. Yeah, absolutely. So that's one of my, my sort of big takeaways. And um, when I look back at, so the, the book really focuses on like the three years of my life. Mm-hmm. And when I look at, back at it now, finally, I feel more compassion for that person, yeah. a little bit less judgment. For many Good years, for I just thought, Boy, did you you screwed it up. You screwed up your life. You you made some big mistakes and you paid the price. And, you know, what did you think, Kristen? Yeah. Did you think you wouldn't have some price to pay? Mm-hmm. And now, thank God, I can look back and feel just kinder yeah, towards that beautiful. person yeah. who did make mistakes, but yeah. who also really, really did pay a price and really did grow from mm-hmm. it. So um I'm I'm very pleased about that. Yeah, I'm so glad to hear that. And I think just from a from a maybe even more emotional standpoint. So I think now anytime you face any adversity in life, if you can say, Well, I I worked through or I am working through the loss of Carly, I can probably get through whatever I'm dealing with right now. And mm-hmm. use that as a really good foundational piece that probably one of the most difficult things you've ever faced. And as you grieve or are grieving through that, pretty much anything else would be a piece of cake in mm-hmm. the grand scheme of things. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. And, and there've been other things that, you know, as being a human, sure. yeah. as you know, things just keep happening, mm-hmm. but you're right. That, that was a seminal moment of yeah. really being just kind of knocked 
on the knees and mm-hmm. and learning how to stand up again and, and walk in a in a new and better way. So that's beautiful. Um, well, I definitely yeah. want my listeners to purchase your book from the Lake House, A Mother's Odyssey of Loss and Love. Kristen Rademacher, if my listeners would like to find out more information about you, to purchase your book and learn more about you, where would they find this information online? I have a website. It's kristenrademacher.com. Um, and my book is listed on Amazon. My book is listed on Bookshop, which is an independent book selling um, website, which is which is great. But yeah, Amazon or my website, I have a blog there and I would be sure. happy okay. to interact with people there. I'm also on Facebook. Wonderful. Well, my listeners know that if they're not able to find your information any other place, so one more time, the name of your book is From the Lake House, A Mother's Odyssey of Loss and Love. Simply go to the show notes in this particular episode at jamesmillerlifeology.com and I will also link you with any digital store you're looking for to purchase this book. Kristen, thank you so much for being a fantastic guest on my show today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you. I also want to thank you, my listener, for tuning in today. Please subscribe to this radio show through whichever portal you join me today. Also, please go to my website where you may sign up for the free weekly recap, watch my YouTube episodes, read the articles I've written specifically for you, and purchase my previous guests' self-help products. If you'd like to work with me, be a guest on or advertise on this show, visit jamesmillerlifeology.com. Be sure to follow me on all social media platforms under the name James Miller Lifeology, except for Twitter, which is James M. Lifeology. Once again, thank you so much for your support, and I'll talk to you soon.